The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. In our text this morning, the Apostle Paul continues with his pastoral apostolic instruction to the church at Colossae, and he continues with this theme that to live in accord with the new life that is ours in Christ involves taking off some of the old sinful ways of life that Paul just referenced in his, in his prayer and to put on these new characteristics, put on these, this new clothing. It's, it's a clothing metaphor. Put off the old clothes and put on the new clothes that accord with our new life in Christ. And, and so it's really, it's really a kind of a metamorphosis. Um, you're, you're new in Christ, so shed, uh, slough off the, the old stuff and live in accord with the new you. And, and you know, my mind, I'm aware, you know, from time to time I get these great drawings of my sermons from children. So this, this is one of those occasions it would be great to just draw pictures. Uh, brings, brings to mind frogs that used to be tadpoles. And, uh, and so imagine you're, you're all tadpoles. You're all, oh, excuse me, I didn't say that right. You all used to be tadpoles. You all used to be tadpoles and, and now you're frogs. <laughs> right? So Paul's message is, brothers and sisters, Jump! Don't, don't wriggle around in the shallows anymore. That old tadpole you that you used to be is dead. It's gone. You're a frog. Stretch your legs and jump! That's one picture. Old life, new life. Here's the butterfly picture. Imagine you all used to be caterpillars. I used to be afraid of caterpillars because they were all fuzzy and prickly uh, and slow. Remember y'all? Okay. You all used to be caterpillars. Paul says, you're not a caterpillar anymore. You're a butterfly. Fly. Don't, don't be crawling around inching on the little branch like the fuzzy caterpillar. Don't do that anymore. You're dead to that caterpillar. Kick off the cocoon. Spread your wings. Fly. I love it. I mean, Colossians is all about living a real life, true life, true to faith, new life in Christ. It, 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 it won't let you sit with a, like an intellectual ascent. Yeah, I believe Jesus is... And you just swim around like a tadpole and you inch around like a fuzzy caterpillar and everybody's afraid of you. It's all about change. To live in accord with the new life that God has given us in Christ Jesus. It's all about that. So Rod Takata's sermon, you know, listing this old self that we used to be. You know, what's the old self? What are the, what are the old clothes that are coming off? You know, it's a mess. 
sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covet, which, is co- which is covetousness, excuse me, covetousness, which is idolatry, and anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk and lying to each other. Paul says, put that old self away and put on the new self, is verse 10. Chapter 3, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So my aim is, is super simple, that we be transformed by the gospel to live more and more in accord with the new life that is ours in Christ by living out, putting on this this, these new clothes, putting on these, these new traits of Christ-likeness that would impact and influence everything in our lives, every relationship, every sphere of life that we live in, everything. So let me pray. Father in heaven, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Your glory is at stake. Among we who claim Christ, I pray that we would live in accord with your person and your character. This is your will that we be sanctified. Grant that we shed the old life, the sins that so easily entangle and lead us to dark places of unbelief and alienation with you and alienation with one another. So grant now, as your blood-bought people, that we would grow in this, in this living the new life that you have given us, that we would fly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, I, I thought of this sermon as, uh, this unit in uh, Colossians as, well, this is like just a day in the life of the Christian, like, Every day, any day, this is just a, a day in the life. You know, I, I, what, what tripped me into that was like, you know, you, you, get, you put your clothes on in the morning, right? You know, that's usually when I put my clothes on. You know, you, 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 so I'm just thinking of a day in the life. You're like, well, you wake up in the morning and, and actually, I got stuck on verse 12. I was, I, my intent was to cover 12 through 17 and I said about it, and I wrote 40 minutes on verse 12. <laughs> and in mercy to you all, <laughs> like I stopped. No, I didn't really stop, but I'm going to tear it off there, and we're going to pick it up, Lord willing, next week. I, I have two points in this morning's outline. Two points. It's all about our new life in Christ. And uh, point number one is a new identity. And point number two is new clothes. So you see right there in my, in my imagery of waking up in the morning, there's something that comes before putting on your clothes. And it's who are you? It's your identity. It's point number one, new identity, verse 12. Put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. 
put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, so right there, before we clothe ourselves with the traits of the new life, the garments of the new life, Paul wants us to wake up to an awareness of who we are in Christ. You know, not let that sense of who we are come from the whispers within or the shouts from other people or the peer pressure or the social media, like who you are. No, no, no. Wake up in the morning. Paul, start before you get dressed. Remember who you are. Think about it this way. Who who are you going to believe? Your little whispers of who you are? The the friends and enemies that speak in who you are? Or God saying who you are? God says, this is who you are. These words have been sticking to me (laughs) for the last two weeks since I started on this. Chosen. Holy. And loved. That's who you are. Chosen, holy, and loved. Let's look at them one at a time. You are God's chosen. You know, long ago, Moses spoke to the people of Israel. This is Deuteronomy 14 2, saying, The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It's true of ancient Israel, God's people, the people of Israel, and yet in Christ, God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. Ephesians one, four, and counted you among his elect chosen people. First Peter two, we've said it already in the service, two nine. You are a chosen race. You are a people belonging to God. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light into the light of fellowship with him. And it was not because you deserved it. You didn't. It was not because you earned it. You couldn't have earned it. God has chosen you and me in Christ, you and me who believe in Christ, by his free and sovereign grace, owing solely to his sovereign mercy and kindness to us. So wake up in the morning to this reality that you are chosen. Like, good morning. (laughs) You are chosen. Chosen in Christ Jesus. Number two, you are holy. Also, from before the foundation of the world, you've been set apart by God, for God in Christ. Quote, that you should be holy and blameless before him. Ephesians 1, 4. The, the declaration to Israel is God's declaration to you who are in Christ. 
Deuteronomy 14, 2 again. You are a people holy to the Lord. So good morning. (laughs) Wake up. Day in the life. Normal day. (laughs) Hear God saying, you're chosen. You are holy. And the third one, you are loved. You are loved. God has demonstrated his love for you in sending Christ to save you. Christ has demonstrated his love in that he gave himself up for you on the cross. Listen to this. This was interesting to to see. I hadn't seen this before. It's it's like a greeting. I mean, this, this is so assumed as who we are. In the, in the New Testament, at least in some of these letters, is it's a way to greet one another. I mean, I, I'm, I think Christianity of old might have spoken like this. Beloved. Loved of God. As a reference to you. I mean, and the point wasn't like that the pastor loved the people, but that God loves the people. Uh, second letter to Thessalonians. This is how Paul speaks. He says, we are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved of the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Here's Jude, the little letter of Jude right before Revelation. Jude addresses his readers this way. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Christ Jesus. Beloved. Beloved. You know, I mean, the, the image comes to mind is, you know, the old wedding thing. Uh, dearly beloved. <laughs> Just, there's a whole lot more grace in this than a character of an old pastor. You are loved of God. Revelation begins this way with this praise. To him who loved us, excuse me, to to him who loves us, present tense, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So wake up every moment, every morning to this reality. You are chosen, you are holy, and you are loved in Christ. This is characteristic of God's chosen people from the beginning. All the way through from the beginning, from the predestination, from before the foundation of the world, through the history of Israel, to the New Testament, into glory. I want to read one of these glorious descriptions of God's people from from Deuteronomy 7. And just, I'm going to circle these these three as they pop up in this this text. Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. There's one. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. 
And it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Then why was it that God chose us and set us apart and loved us? Here's the answer. It is because the Lord loves you. That's why. So, in my day in the life, ordinary Christian life, we wake up, wake up to this reality of who we are in, in Christ before we think of any, anything else. We are chosen by God. We are set apart by God as holy. And we are loved by God with an everlasting love. Now it's time to get dressed, right? But that's how Paul words it here, you know? First this. Now let's talk about putting on. That's point number two now. The new clothes. Putting on. Actually, I thought of this too. So if kids are here, this would be another fun drawing. To kind of take these five words in verse 12 and change them into clothing and put them on a person so that they're wearing all these five things. Just, just trying to help you. I, I do love the pictures that I get. And I'm surprised by some of the things that I say in the pictures. <laughs> Point number two, new clothes. So, you know, now this is in contrast to last week's text, putting off the sinful stuff that I, I read that passage already verse 5 and verse 8 of chapter 3. And you know, putting off the old self, the old clothes, I, I cannot help but climb into the, into the metaphor of old clothes and think about, <laughs> I, I don't know, I, don't, I think I'm, I always think I'm fairly normal. I, I don't ever think I'm, a, you know, strange. But, um, but if you're like me, you, you have certain old clothes that you like. I like certain old clothes. I mean, I could give you a long list of clothes that... It actually, when, when you're married, one of the things you might find is like certain ripped up things disappear, you know, one day. <laughs> like, where's... Um, but here, here's, here's, here's an illustration. I, 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 I gravitate to this... I wear it on my days off. I probably wear it twice a week or more um, to this... this Light brown smart wool setter, sweater with, with pilly things and snags on it and a big hole in the elbow. It's just really comfortable. And, and <laughs> inevitably, since I, I put it on often, my wife often reminds me, Kenny, don't wear that. Don't wear that sweater out of the house. <laughs> and she's not here right now. She went down to the nursery because the seven, seven, seven's around. Don't tell her I came to church with it last week. <laughs> and, and I'm in a meeting, and for some reason I do this, and <laughs> the guys I'm meeting with go, uh, you, you know you have a big hole in your elbow. And I say, I know, I know. But, you know, think about it. You know, the old, I mean, that, it's funny and silly and stupid, <laughs> but, uh, and it doesn't matter. You know, hope holes and sweaters. But, but to have a default 
into the old life because it, it feels natural and comfortable to go about the sinful ways of the old life is diabolical. Lord, break this default into the old. I mean, I appreciated Paul Delahunt in his prayer saying, on the way here, I saw old life. Lord, kill it. I'm going to go back to verse 12, and I'm going to read it again. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, hear these five words. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Let's take them one at a time. Put on compassionate hearts. The word heart there is actually the word for your innards, your, for your guts. Uh, compassionate guts, you could say. Uh, the old King James translated it, uh, put on bowels of mercy. Bowels of mercy. Uh, compassionate heart. I like compassionate hearts. Um, it, it's a word, it's a, it, it's a pairing of words that's used to describe God's compassion. This is in the prophecy of Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. Here's what it says in, in this prophecy to describe God's attitude is, is tender mercy that he has in which he sends his son Christ into the world to save us from our sins. What is in God in the sending of Christ? Bowels of mercy. A heart of compassion. God the Father is compassionate as a, as a father to his children. I, I, I can't not think of when Moses said to God, show me your glory. And the Lord said, okay, I'll show you my backside. I'll show you a piece of me. And this is Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And the Lord passed by. And what did, what did Moses hear and see? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God is compassionate. God is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. In, in Mark 6, 34, he looks at the crowd and this physical, heartfelt compassion he feels. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So now, in Christ, you and I have received the heartfelt compassion of God in Christ. We've received it. So it is only fitting 
that we who have received the compassion of God would be called, as we are called in Philippians 2, verse 1, to have affection and sympathy toward one another. Compassion for one another. Number two, put on kindness. The word kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's a word that describes God's gracious attitude toward us as sinners. God is kind. Jesus calls us to love our enemies. I could say he calls us to kindness toward our enemies. Do good to them, expecting nothing in return because, quote, God is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil, Luke 6, 35. In fact, it is out of the riches of God's kindness that he calls us to turn away from sin and come to him through Christ Jesus, Romans 2, 4. It's out of the riches of his kindness. God is kind to us. In fact, the Bible says that God saved us. This is a big eternal thing here. A big eternal purpose. God saved us in order that for the coming ages he might display his immeasurable, the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. In Jesus Christ. He saved us to show the glory of his Grace in kindness to us. God has been kind to you. Beloved, brothers and sisters, he's been kind to you. And and since we have received the kindness of God, it is only fitting then, is it not, that we are called to be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. It's only fitting. Number three, put on humility. Humility is a, is a character trait of Christ. Not unlike in our day, in biblical times, humility was not seen as a positive trait. It was seen as a negative trait. You know, humility was a trait of the lowly, of a servant or even a coward but, but Jesus, Jesus turned that thinking on its head for us. Philippians 2. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did now not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself to do the will of the Father in accomplishing our salvation. He humbled himself in love for you and for me. It is only fitting then, is it not, 
that we who have new life in Christ would be called to put on humility? Continuing in Philippians 2, this is verse 3. Do nothing then from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Number four, meekness. Clothe yourselves with meekness. Meekness could also be translated gentleness. It's also a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus describes himself with this word in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, here's the word, gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Christ is meek and gentle. In the context of the verse, part of his call to us as as sinners to come to him weary and heavy laden and come to learn from him is because he says, I'm gentle and lowly of heart. You'll find rest. Come on in. A bruised reed, he will not break. Come to him. Now, one, one New Testament scholar says of meekness, he, he goes to Moses. He says, Moses was very gentle, Numbers 12, 3, in the sense that faced with undeserved criticism, he did not give way to rage, but interceded with God for the offenders. Jesus was gentle but was perfectly capable of indignation, end quote. At the right time, Jesus cleared the temple. Jesus got in the Pharisees and Sadducees' faces. It it doesn't mean that Jesus was wimpy. I mean, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, Here's an illustration from, from the night Jesus was betrayed. The word gentle is not there. Excuse me, the word meek is not there. But I see the meekness of Jesus in it. Okay, climb into it. This is the night Jesus is betrayed. Judas has betrayed him. The soldiers come to arrest Jesus and they start to take hold of him. And one of Jesus' followers flips out the knife or the switchblade or the sword and whacks off the ear of one of the arresting soldiers. And do you remember what Jesus said before he put the ear back on the soldier? Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Do you see it? See the meekness? He yields to the will of the Father in the mission that he's been given. 
He could have spoken a word and the Father would have sent, I did the math, 72,000 angels to take on these arresting soldiers. Get the point? (laughs) He's got absolute power. And in meekness, he yields to the Father's will. He yields to his mission to accomplish our salvation. Is arrested, beaten, crucified in order that he would rise from the dead for us. His meekness is there's a time to exert his power and authority and his justice. And it's not all the time. There's a day coming for judgment. But we're in this season of his grace, this gospel season, the last days, when God highlights his mercy to us in Christ. And the day of judgment and his full exercise of justice in his authority is going to come. That's going to be later. He'll reckon with the soldiers later. He'll reckon with all sinners later. But now is the time for salvation and grace. In his meekness, he lays down his life for us. Is it any wonder that we, as those who have new life in Christ, those who have have put on Christ, is it any wonder that we should be called to meekness toward one another? Galatians 6, 1. If anyone is caught in a a transgression, you who are spiritual ought to restore him in a spirit of gentleness or meekness. We're called to preserve the unity of the church in this manner with all Humility and gentleness, Ephesians 4, 2. Gentleness. That's why when people in the church rise up to oppose leaders of the church, the leaders are clearly called to correct those opponents, but to do so, 2 Timothy 2, 25, with gentleness or meekness. Number five, patience. This too is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22. Patience. This word is a word that describes God's attitude toward you, and Christ's attitude toward you as a sinner. He's patient with you. And the Apostle Paul put it so well. You know, Paul, the, the persecutor of the church, the the one lending support to the killing of Christians before he met Christ. You know, when Jesus met him on the road, it's also an illustration of Jesus' meekness, but when Jesus met him on the road, why didn't Jesus just obliterate him? Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 6, here's the reason. I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example 
to those who were to believe in him to eternal life. It's not just Paul who's received God's patience, right? You've received God's patience. You've received the benefit of Christ's patience with you. It's only fitting then that we who have been shown God's patience are called to clothe ourselves with patience toward one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Now, did you notice that in that list, that list of those five traits, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, did you notice that you and I are not called to put on anything that we've not received from God? Nothing. All of it is reflective of the character of God and the person of Christ toward us. We've received all of this from from God in the gospel. We're not called to put on anything that we have not received already from God the Father through Christ Jesus. Romans 13, 14 says it this way. This is Paul. He says, put on then the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Saying the same thing. Saying the same thing. Put on the person of Christ in these five character traits of Christ, of God. Now, now, right here, <laughs> this is as far as we're going today. So here's my image, day in the life. You wake up to the reality of who we are in Christ. Chosen, holy, loved in Christ. We lay out the, the new clothes. We're not wearing the old clothes. We're, we're not going there. We lay out the new clothes of, of compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We get the clothes on. And right there, this is just in my reading of the passage, it's like we have not stepped out the door yet. Like we're still in the bedroom. <laughs> the, the rubber's going to meet the road in the rest of the passage. (laughs) We come out into life with one another and life in the home and life in the workplace and life with the world. And uh, I'm going to stop right here. Now that you woke up and you got your clothes on and we'll pick it up right there next week into verse 13. Let me pray. We're going to go to the Lord's table. But before we do, let me pray. Father in heaven, you are so gracious, so rich in your, I, I grope for words, in your loving kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Rich and full, lavish in your grace and kindness. You have made us who we are in Christ Jesus your very own people, 
chosen, holy, and loved. Grant us grace to live in accord with the new life that is ours in Christ, that we would be transformed from one degree of glory to another to be conformed more and more and more to the image of Christ in our compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience with one another. So help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.